Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa and Tales to Terrify. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you are listening from, as you know, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 98. Ooh, we're getting down to the wire of the big 100. I'm excited, can you tell? A quick announcement, Fablers. Our venerable sister podcast, Starship Sofa, is eligible for the Hugo Award for Best Fancast this year. If you feel she is worthy, and... Of course you do. Please feel free to visit the Hugo Awards website, the link is of course in our show notes, and make Tony Smith's day. He's such a nice guy. Go on, take five minutes. On to this week, we begin with something special, a flash story titled Oceana from Jay Lake and Ruth Nestfold. It is the first in a cycle of nine flash fiction stories by Jay and Ruth called Tales of the Rose Knights, which are currently being published bi-weekly at dailysciencefiction.com. Jay Lake lived in Portland, Oregon until his death in 2014. His short fiction appeared regularly in literary and genre markets worldwide, and he was a winner of the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, a multiple nominee for the Hugo and World Fantasy Awards. In 2015, he posthumously received the Locus Award for his collection, Last Plane to Heaven. Ruth Nestvold has published widely in science fiction and fantasy, her fiction appearing in such markets as Asimov's, F and SF, and Year's Best Science Fiction. Her work has been nominated for the Nebula, Tiptree, and Sturgeon Awards. And in 2007, the Italian translation of her novella Looking Through Lace won the Premio Italia Award for Best International Work. Jay and Ruth's collection of short stories, Almost All the Way Home from the Stars, is available at Amazon and via iTunes. You can learn more about them via the links in our show notes. The story is read for you by yours truly, Nicholas Eaton Clark. I'm sure you all know far too much about me by now, including my predilection for certain beverages, so I'll just leave that there. And now, Oceana by Jay Lake and Ruth Nestfold. She did not come to her life with intention. 
Few do, but less so for Oceana. She had been born a bondswoman, in a time and place where freedwomen were rarer than talking hens. That she had good hands and clear eyes was apparent even in her extreme youth. So when the proctors came to winnow the girl children in her third summer, Oceana was taken aside to be raised on red meat and rough exercise, to see if she could grow into the king's guard. It was made clear to her that if she failed to reach the height of a certain iron post in the courtyard of her prison school by midsummer of her fourteenth year, Oceana would be turned over to common soldiery as a drab, to live however many days or weeks her muscles and spirit could buy her before being broken like most of the women of her time and place. So, like the girls in the training cadre, Oceana regularly hung by her feet, climbed and stretched, ate long foods like celery and carrots, anything to encourage her height. For there was no better life than to be a member of the regiment of women who guarded the person, life, and dignity of the king. Though strength and grace and beauty came to her, skin pale as an apricot, hair a honey yellow to match, Oceana was never destined to top the iron post. By her thirteenth year this deficiency of height was obvious to Oceana, her peers, and her trainers. There was some muttering among the girls, but the old women and narrow-eyed men who ran the prison school just shook their heads and mouthed platitudes about tradition. Oceana thought long and hard about whether and how she should live in that last winter of her privileged days. There was no going over the wall here. The prison school was built on crags surrounded by cat-infested jungles beyond the horizons of civilization. There was no negotiating here. That had been obvious from the start. Her choices were to be taller than the post, or be turned out to some guard company to be shagged to death. Then she would just be taller than the post. As midsummer approached, the other girls hatched dozens of plots for Oceana. She would be the only failure that year. The other eight girls of her cohort were all tall enough. She brushed off their offers of assistance, preferring instead to train all the harder in axe and sword and bare-muscled fighting. When asked to what point, she just smiled. They told her she was buying a mere few more days of life, until her new owner-captors had starved her sufficiently. When the brood-matrons brought the girls out at dawn on Midsummer's Day, Oceana was last in the line. One by one, the girls preceding her stood by the post. Their names were called out, they were blessed by an officer-priest of the King's Guard, and then they were led away to a new and distant life with the upper cadre. Finally, it was Oceana's turn. Her brood-matron had Oceana's arm in an iron grip as they approached the post. Half a hundred pairs of eyes watched, dreading what would come, as many more were averted or closed. As she reached the post, Oceana twisted in the brood-matron's grip, drove the heel of her hand into the older woman's nose in the blow called striking the apple, then tripped the dying woman to lie beside the post. She stepped up on the brood-matron's belly, which raised the top of her head above the height of the post. It was many years before Oceana found her place as the apricot knight. She has never slain again, letting that first death stand for her in the judgment of the afterlife. 
but she has always carried her pride with her, sharper than any sword, and is feared across all the lands for her vicious cleverness. The first time I read this story, I didn't see that ending coming. Did you? One of the reasons I volunteered to narrate it. It tickled me. Far-fetched Fables will be airing the remaining tales of the Rose Knights roughly once a month, so stay tuned for more. And on to our feature story for this week, which is Salt and Sand by Kate O'Connor. Kate has written science fiction and fantasy since 2011. In between telling stories, she flies airplanes, digs up artefacts, and manages a dog kennel. Her short fiction has most recently appeared in Starship Sofa, Intergalactic Medicine Show, and Escape Pod. The story is read for us by Nicole Doolin. Nicole is a writer and a voice actor. Her fiction, poetry and plays have been published and presented, and her voice has appeared in various media. Nicole has performed numerous narrations for a number of popular and award-winning podcasts, such as the No Sleep podcast and our very own Tales to Terrify. She also narrates classic literature by the likes of Austen, Poe, James and more in her own podcast, Audio Literature Odyssey. Learn more in the show notes. And now, Salt and Sand by Kate O'Connor. The blood-orange sun was slumping towards the western horizon when the funeral boat came ashore, groaning in defeat as it crested onto the sand. Cesa had watched the boat throughout the day, tracking its slow progress in between settling her other visitors. The little boat had teased her, coming close and then drifting back out with the tide, but it had finally arrived. Cesa held still, savoring the moment before she went to peel back flesh and crack bones to reveal this next visitor's story. Her pointed teeth ached with wanting and her mouth watered. There was a lifetime of thought and emotion that would be waiting just beneath the skin of the next corpse. A board creaked and Sasa froze. There shouldn't be any noise. Funeral ships only brought one thing. The sound had been sharp and immediate. Too sudden for Sasa's beach and the long line of empty vessels left by her day's work. Something shifted just beyond the boat's railing. Before Sasa had time to react, a thin figure lurched upwards, sprawling over the rail and tumbling down onto the hot sand. Sasa jumped back, her heart thundering in her chest. She had seen living people countless times in memories, but to have one in front of her was another matter entirely. The figure moved, coughing and choking as it pushed itself up. Sasa stared. The woman was as gaunt as a corpse, but very much alive. Her face was pinched and pointed as she collapsed back onto the hot sand and lay still, breathing heavily. Her clothing was simple and filthy, faded to a colorless brown by long use. A sword hung from her belt. Sasa skirted around her to the far side of the boat. Her throat ached with hunger. The woman's presence didn't change her need to get to the boat. Living memories and warm flesh wouldn't feed her. The boat could not have reached the island without another passenger. She climbed over the side of the boat sparing one more glance for the living woman. 
The woman remained still and oblivious to Sasa's presence. A soft tendril of memory beckoned to Sasa on the familiar smell of decay. It whispered sweetness and deep, raw yearning. A girl lay towards the bow of the little boat, tucked carefully in a rough-worn horse blanket. The braids in her thick blonde hair were slightly crooked, and her small hands were folded over a tiny rust-spotted dagger. Sasa settled beside the girl, brushing her round cheek with gentle fingers. She closed her eyes, hearing the sand stirring in the wind, the heartbeat of the constant waves echoed by the living woman's breath scarcely a boat length away. Letting her own self drift, Sasa lifted the girl's hand to her mouth. The rot-softened skin was slick and yielding against her lips. She bit down, pointed teeth working until tepid, sluggish blood and splintery ivory bone released the first hints of the girl's memories. Rin curled tight as a hard toe connected with her upper arm. Stupid city kids in their shoes. It was a glancing blow, but it stung. The three boys boxing her in were still shouting insults. She spat at them and they closed in once more. Her desperate eyes settled on Talus, leaning against the wall of the gem merchant's shop, as calmly as though she were watching the clouds pass by. Rin opened her mouth to call for help. But her mother's gray eyes met hers with all the warmth of winter stones. She snapped her jaw shut, twisting away from the next blow. Talus's expression said everything. This was Rin's mess to deal with. Rin forced herself to move, clawing and biting as she tried to get out from under the bigger boys. The silence that would come if Talus decided she had embarrassed their mercenary band would be far worse than scrapes and bruises. Rin! Garin's bellow was enough to make the boys pause, even from half a block down the road. She heaved herself up, taking advantage of their distraction to dig an elbow into a vulnerable thigh. The boy yelped and grabbed her hair. She swung her slender arms, shrieking in pain and frustration. The hand in her hair let go abruptly and another latched on the back of her tunic. She struggled harder, if they managed to pick her up, there wouldn't be much she could do. The fabric burned against her skin as she twisted as far as she could, digging her nails into the hand and bending the thumb back. Damn it, Rin. Pay attention to whether you're swinging at an ally or an enemy. Garin shook her gently. She froze, the blood rushing to her cheeks, making her face feel hot. Sorry, Garin. She looked around for her attackers. One of the boys was on his rump in a horse trough, dripping as he looked at Garin with huge, startled eyes. The other two had retreated to a safer distance. Don't worry about it, kid. He set her down, dusting off the back of her tunic with a few rough pats. You're getting too old for this. Then you shouldn't have saved me. She glared down at her bare toes, squinting hard against the shameful tears that were threatening. There was nothing worse than needing to be rescued. It would have been better if she had lost the fight. It might even have been better if she had run away. Scarcely daring to look, she glanced over towards the gem merchant's shop. Her heart dropped to her stomach and she sat there like a lump of spoiled meat. Talus was gone. A keening wail broke Sasa out of her trance. 
She leapt backwards off of the boat as the sword point whistled past her nose. It smelled of steel and old blood. Talis was barely recognizable as the tall, cold woman she had seen in Rin's memory. Her gray eyes were hot and wild as she swung the sword again. Stay away! The slender sword whipped out towards her, glinting golden in the light of the setting sun. Sesa leapt nimbly away, scuttling up the bare trunk of a palm until she was high enough to avoid the sword's edge. Sesa looked hard at the weapon. Some of her visitors had known the feel of sharp metal too well. She didn't think it would kill her, but she didn't want to find out. Don't touch her. The woman stood unsteadily between Sesa and the boat, her fawn brown hair flaming as brightly as the sword. In spite of the woman's obvious exhaustion, the point of the weapon was leveled unerringly at Sesa's chest. I must. Sesa's voice was as raspy as wind-blown sand. The words came from a long way away, from a thousand memories gathered like shells from countless bodies on the beach. She could not remember having ever spoken before. It made her throat feel strange and tight. The woman's eyes turned inward as she drew herself up. No. She is mine. Sesa clung to the trunk of the swaying tree, grasping for enough of the half-understood words to explain. She is mine, she repeated in frustration. The dead that came had to be hers. Sesa existed to pass their memories back to the world. The woman's gray eyes jerked up to meet hers. Sesa bared her pointed teeth in challenge as they stared at each other. Talis's sun-reddened face paled and she stumbled back. You're done she whispered. Sensing an advantage in the woman's fear, Sesa slid easily back down to the sand. Dani missed the truth of her. She wasn't a demon, and it wasn't just the corpses she wanted. It was the memories hiding in flesh and bone that drove her. The woman backed away until she came up against the unforgiving bulk of the boat. The weight of it seemed to steady her, and she met Sesa's eyes again. You won't lay a finger on her. Her voice trembled and her knuckles were white on the sword hilt. I'll kill you first. The fading light in the west drew Sesa's eye. The memories she had already gathered swirled uneasily in her mind, nearly ready to be released. It was time to return to her nest to digest and let the memories she had gathered return to the world. Without their occupants, these boats and their worldly goods would crumble to sand in the darkness. The beach would be fresh and clean come morning, except for this woman and the girl. Talis took advantage of her distraction and lashed out again, with Rin's shame echoing in her mind. Sesa turned and ran. Sesa huddled in her soft nest in the soaring canopy, shivering as she waited for the memories to settle in her mind and return to the heart of the world. Talis's presence caused new and terrifying emotion. Sesa's waking eyes had seen what Rin had known, and she had lost herself. Sesa shook her head hard 
sending her tangled black hair into her eyes. It couldn't be allowed to happen again. She had a duty to the dead who came to the island. Without her, their memories would be lost, drifting as ghosts until they faded to nothing. Rin deserved better. All of Sace's visitors did. She got to her feet. She would have to find another way to deal with Talus. When Sasa returned to the beach in the morning, Talus had her shoulder to the bow of the boat, gaunt face bright red as she tried to push it back out to sea. It rocked a little in the pale sand before jolting forward a scant few inches. Sasa watched from the safety of a flat rock, hands twisting in her lap. Other boats were coming ashore, begging for her attention, but she couldn't tear herself away. She didn't know if a boat could leave. But if this one did, she doubted it would ever return. Rin would be lost. Talus was relentless, still strong in spite of whatever ordeal had brought her to Sasa's island. Several times Sasa moved forward. Whenever she shifted, Talus's hand would drop to her sword. For the first time in an existence that had spanned eternity, Sasa was helpless. She wasn't strong enough to overpower Talus and she couldn't bear to let Rin's memories be lost. The boat left the shore in a rush. Sasa reached out into the emptiness between them, wanting to hold the tiny vessel back. For the first time since Sasa had returned to the beach, Talus's proud face was triumphant as she threw herself over the railing and paddled hard against the waves. The boat wallowed, looking for a moment as though it would break through the current. Sasa's heart leapt as the waves won pushing the craft high up on the white sand once more. Talus threw herself out of the boat again, shoving until she slid down to the sand, trembling with exhaustion. You will go nowhere without a sail. Sasa approached slowly. The woman seemed too tired to lift her sword, but that had been no guarantee before. Then I'll get one. Talus got to her feet and marched on shaking legs towards the nearest of the other boats. Everything will turn to salt and sand without my desire for it to stay, Sasa said. Help me then. The relentless command in her weary voice forced Sasa to swallow down a snarl. She was neither a dog nor a soldier. No. Sasa raised her chin, their eyes locked. She could see the woman gauging her resolve, looking for a weakness that would force Sasa's cooperation. There has to be a way. Talus turned away. The dead come here to stay, Sasa said firmly. I'm not leaving her here to be eaten. Talus's hand returned to her sword again. I came to get her back. The woman's voice broke. Get her back? Sasa asked, puzzled. Rin was dead. Nothing could change that. It was a wonder Talus hadn't died herself on the journey here. The boats take the dead to the land of the gods. Talus folded her arms, looking embarrassed. Sasa doubted she believed what she was saying. Sometimes the gods bargain, right? Sasa knew of many gods through her visitors' memories, but she had never met one. 
certainly not one who walked and talked and bargained like a living person. When she gathered memories, they returned to the heart of the world and became part of all things. She didn't deserve to die, Talus continued, oblivious to Sasa's silence. Surely there is a god who can be made to understand that, or at least one who wants something. There are no gods like that here. It was repulsive to imagine those poor souls trapped somewhere, removed of purpose and waiting to fade away unless some higher power granted them a second chance. Sasa felt ill. She treated her visitors better than that. But, no. Sasa's hand cut a sharp denial in the air. Language was coming easier with practice. I eat them and learn their lives. When night comes, I let them go back to the world's heart to be made anew. They cannot live again. She walked away, repelled by what Talus suggested. Wait! Talus ran after her, her voice raised in desperation. You take their thoughts? She paused until Sasa nodded. Can you give hers to me? To you? This idea was worse than the first. Even if Sasa could do it, it would be an abomination. Two people's lives would tear a single body apart. No. And if you continue to interfere, she will fade away completely. Sasa moved forward again, leaving Talus standing in the sand. A line of boats stretched out before her. There was work to do and she had wasted too much time already. There has to be something you can do. Talus's voice sounded small and desperate. I can help you leave, Sasa said after a long silence. How? Life leapt back into Talus's voice like a fire splashed with oil. I will make the sail. Won't it just turn into sand? Talus's gray eyes were sharp. It will not if it is my hand that weaves it, she hoped. She had never tried anything like it before. But I have a price. What price? Talus folded her arms. I will have to steal from the dead to do this. For every piece of cloth, I will take a piece of rin. It hurt her to think of taking what should have been discarded, but nothing else came to mind. Talus could not live on the island with her forever, nor would Rin's memories wait indefinitely. No, the denial was immediate. Then you will die here, Sasa said firmly, and Rin will be a whisper on the tide. Why are you doing this? The anger in Talus's voice was a whip-snap. If you take her away... That is all she will be, Sasa gestured to the corpse, her own anger making her stomach tight. I do not want her to disappear. The world needs what she has learned in her life. You will not let her go, so I must bargain. Talus was silent for a long time. The waves left dark crescents on the sand, pulling the never-ending pilgrimage of boats closer to shore. All right. Talus's voice broke. 
take her. Save what you can. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Get up, girl. Something tickled Rin's nose. She snorted, batting it away. Sunlight streamed through the open tent flap, bright even though she squeezed her eyes shut. The annoying tickling returned. She cracked her eyes open. Talus leaned over her, grinning. She tugged gently at Rin's braid, tickling the tip of her nose with the end of it again. Talus, Rin grumbled. Get up, we're going to the fair. Talus grabbed her around the waist and hefted her, bedroll and all, over her shoulder and out into the open air. Rin howled and giggled, squirming as Talus spun them around in circles before setting her on her feet. She staggered dizzily, stumbling into Talus. The older woman steadied her, smiling down as she gave her a rough one-armed hug. The fair? Rin had seen the fair yesterday and wondered, but it wasn't the sort of thing they did. Yep, Talus grabbed her hand, pulling her towards the road. Just the two of us. Rin felt like her face was going to split. She couldn't stop smiling. Talis stripped the man's corpse with ruthless efficiency. When she had bundled up every bit of useful fabric, she climbed back down to the sand. Sesa touched her now-naked visitor's face in gentle apology, silently promising to return when she could give him the attention he deserved. She went with Talis from vessel to vessel until the sun was low in the sky. The bundle of cloth was heavy as Sesa's feet took her back to her nest. She ached for the long line of boats left occupied on the cooling sand, but she hadn't the heart to attend to them now. She would do it tomorrow, once the sail was started and her grief at the necessary desecration had settled. Talis scarcely acknowledged Sesa's presence, staring out to sea as though it was her soul Sesa had taken. Over the weeks that Sesa had been splitting her time between her other visitors and weaving the sail, Talis had grown weak. It hurt Sesa to see the taut determination in the woman's face lackening, and her eyes growing vacant. You will die here. Sesa breathed the words softly, half afraid to make them real. It doesn't matter. Talis's voice startled her. She hadn't expected an answer. 
Would that be such a terrible thing? The woman continued. To stay here with her? When I am done, she will not be here at all. Sasa didn't believe Talus really wanted to die. It is a stupid idea. Your death would be a waste. Talus's face went hard. She pushed herself to her feet and stalked off down the beach. I'm old enough. Rin fought the urge to fold her arms across her chest. It would look too childish. She wanted Talus to see she could be mature enough to handle a weapon. No, Talus didn't look up, her hand moving in smooth circles as she ran a whetstone along the gleaming edge of her sword. Just a dagger? I don't want to sword or anything. She clenched her hands, then forced herself to relax them. You could show me how to use it. She was proud of herself for suggesting it. If she could convince Talus she was ready to learn. No, Talus repeated, her eyes flicking up to Rin's face and then down again. I don't have time to waste on teaching you, and neither does anyone else. You're too small, too young, too inexperienced. How am I supposed to defend myself? Rin shot back. You're gone all the time, and I'm by myself. What if someone comes? She wasn't really afraid of being alone. She was quick and quiet. Even Talus had trouble finding her when she didn't want to be found. But Talus wasn't going to give in just because she wanted to properly join the mercenary group. Better to try to sell her mother on an exaggeration of the truth. Talus's pale eyes bored into her. Rin glared back. Fine. Talus pulled a worn dagger out of her pack and tossed it to her. Rin fumbled and caught it. It was heavy in her hand. The leather-wrapped hilt was cool. She clutched it more tightly, scarcely able to believe it had been that easy. Learn how to use it. Talus was already getting to her feet. Don't bother me about this again. Rin was certain she could talk Garen into teaching her. If not, well, she had watched all of them practice often enough. It couldn't be that difficult to copy them. Thank you, mother. Her thoughts skidded to an abrupt halt as she caught sight of Talus's expression. Sorry, Talus, she muttered, face flushing. City children had mothers. Soft, round women with voices that were full of feeling. Women who wore dresses instead of armor. And baked bread instead of swinging a sword for whoever paid the most. Talus wasn't a mother. Talus was their leader. Sasa turned the dagger over in her hands. In Rin's eyes, it had seemed bright and hopeful. The weapon she saw in front of her was small and dull. The leather was dark with blood. I gave that to her. Talus stood behind her. Yes, Sasa answered. She held the dagger out. Talus took it. Can you tell me what you see? You know most of it. The sail was nearly half done and they had fallen into a pattern. Talus would walk the island while Sasa did her duty to the dead, returning only when she was certain she wouldn't have to see the Dani at her task. I don't know what she felt. There was a fine tremor in Talus's voice. Her strong hands held the dagger lightly, fingertips caressing its sunlit length with the delicacy of a soap bubble. I will try, 
anything to push back the terrible deadness in Talus's eyes. Sasa couldn't stand to see that look on a living woman's face. Talus tucked the dagger away, catching Sasa's sharp clawed hands and squeezing them hard. Her face was a tumble of wanting and fear. Laughing wildly as she ran through a field that smelled of honey and damp hay, her arms flung wide, huddling in a cave in winter, stomach so empty it was past complaining, Talus herself covered in blood and returning triumphantly to camp like a mythic heroine, a warm fire at a rare roadside inn, Garen in the boat they had cobbled together from driftwood, lying too still. The memories ran together as the sail grew. Sace's fingers fumbled the task at first, struggling to find the knack of it in the memories that flowed through her mind. It was green brocade and snowy linen, lilac silk and rough brown homespun, patched together at night while Talus slept. The warrior woman no longer wandered the island, but sat with her back to Sasa listening with her entire being as the Dani let the memory she saw turn into words. Learning to mend armor, dodging kicks from merchants as she explored a shoddy, colorful market, hiding in the dark, wondering who wouldn't come home this time, cutting her hand as hard as she tried to hold the dagger just so. This is the last. Sasa ran her hands over the long braided twist of fair hair, all that remained of Rin's body. Talus nodded and sank down onto the sand. She had calmed through the long days of exploring her daughter's memories. I'm ready. Sasa lifted the braid to her lips slowly. When this was done, Talus would leave and Sasa would be alone again. The unbound end of the braid tickled her nose. She had to finish. It wouldn't be right to leave the job undone. She tucked the hair into her mouth, chewing the salt-tangled tresses and letting her mind go. The taste of fire burst hot and greedy against her tongue. Get under that log. Talus pushed Rin down into the hollow and kicked up the leaves to hide her. Stay until I come for you. If I'm not back by midday, Take the road south to the village we pass through. Don't look for me and don't speak to anyone until you reach town. Understand? No, Rin hissed. She didn't want to hide. Her head snapped back as Talus's hand connected with her cheek. Face burning, she sank back into the rotting leaves. Fury bubbled up in her chest. Stay here. Don't make me tell you again. Talus's voice was sharp with disapproval. Rin watched her long legs carry her away through the trees and out of sight. Rin clutched her dagger, fighting tears as she settled in to wait. It wasn't fair. The sky lightened. Every rustle made Rin sit up, only to sink back down again when it proved to be a squirrel or wind rustling the leaves. She closed her eyes, aching and exhausted. Next time, she would find some way to prove she could help. They burst into the clearing, swords a furious blur. There was blood on Talus's face and she was favoring her right leg. Rin wiggled forward, trying to get a better look at the fight. Her heart skipped a beat. Talus was slowing down, her movements desperate and abrupt. Her opponent spun towards her, 
whipping his sword around in a complicated dance. Their blades met and locked. For a moment, it was a stalemate. Then Talus fell. Rin covered her mouth with her hands, biting her cheek to stop from making noise. She crawled out from under the log. She had to help. The man stood over her mother. Talus's labored breathing sent up harsh plumes in the chill early morning air. He kicked Talus's sword away, sending it spinning into the undergrowth. She glared up at him with furious, smoldering eyes, never looking at Rin's hiding place. Rin crept towards them, moving silently like Garin had taught her. The hand that held the dagger was sweaty and her legs shook. She held her breath, looking for a weak point. The man wasn't wearing heavy armor, which was good. Her dagger wouldn't have been much use if he had been. She wasn't even sure it would puncture his thick leather vest. She was nearly too close already. There had to be a way. Squashing down the sick squirming in her stomach, she lunged in low. Her dagger slashed through the back of his knee. He shouted, going down almost on top of her. She jerked back, wrenching the dagger free. This time she aimed for the unprotected juncture between his neck and shoulder. The dagger slid in. Hot blood spurted over her hands and face. She stumbled and sat down hard. He fell back and lay still. Rin's chest was heaving. The blood in her eyes stung and she wiped at them. When her vision was clear, she saw Talus. Her mother stared at her with wide, shocked eyes. Rin smiled. She got up and wiped the dagger on her leggings. Talus would have to admit she was good enough now. She stepped over the body. Talus's expression changed. The dawning pride in her face turned to horror. Rin stopped. The leaves behind her rustled. She turned. The man was on his feet, blood bathing his left side. She had missed the killing blow. He took one decisive step. She stared up at him. His expression was as cold and blank as the one Talus usually wore. Behind her, a woman screamed. Rin looked down. Her hand was wrapped around the burning cold steel that protruded from her chest. He pulled back and the wound burst into throbbing, agonizing life. She was on the ground. How had that happened? Talus had her dagger. She was kneeling on the man's chest, drawing it across his throat with the fury of a goddess. Talus was cradling her in her lap, sobbing. That couldn't be right. Talus didn't cry and Talus didn't hug her. Mother? Her voice broke. It's okay, Rin. I'm here, Talus gasped, stroking her blood-matted hair with shaking, desperate fingers. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. Rin smiled, even though it hurt and nothing seemed to work right. She felt distant and warm. Her eyes drifted closed. If Talus said it would be fine, then it would be. She would sleep, and when she woke up, they would be together. Talus leaned forward, her face in her hands. Her shoulders shook. 
Sasa wrapped her slender arms around her. Rin was gone, and soon Talus would be too. The woman turned into her embrace, burying her face in Sasa's dark hair. It was my fault, the words were muffled. I should have run the other way, or let him kill me, or thought to check that he was dead. I should have left her with some nice innkeeper the day she was born. She shook her head. So many things. Sasa shrugged. Perhaps. What did fault have to do with it? But all mortals die. She shouldn't have. Talis pulled back, rubbing her eyes. A trace of the anger she had brought with her had returned. What do I do now? Sasa sighed. Until Talis, she had only seen mortal lives from afar. They were much more complicated up close. You know she loved you and wanted you to live. You know you loved her and wanted the same. Go live. Talis snorted, the ghost of a smile flitting across her face. Everything's simple with you. I am not mortal. Eternity's much longer to straighten things out. Sasa smiled, showing her pointed teeth. A crooked smile dawned on Talis's face. Sasa felt her heart lift. With that expression, Talis looked very much like Rin. Sasa carried the heavy folds of the finished sail down to Rin's boat. Talis was waiting, her face calm and her eyes far away. The boat was floating in the shallows, rocking gently in the waves. They rigged the sail in silence. When the last rope was tied off, the multi-hued patchwork rippled in the strengthening evening breeze, snapping and crackling as it filled. I'll be back when it's my time. Talis spoke without taking her eyes off of the horizon. Yes, Sasa nodded. And I will be here waiting. Not exactly the cheeriest of tales, but we simply could not resist this story. Kate sends us on an emotional journey here, and in the process shows us how deceptive first impressions can be. If you're like us, this one will lurk in the back of your mind for a few days. Let us know your thoughts on it via the forum on our website or on our Facebook page. On a cheerier note, I hope you noticed the new art that we have up this week. It's our first photographic piece of art, and it is absolutely gorgeous. It comes from photographer and model Cassandra Lee, who is a self-professed dweeb with no social skills, chronic ailments, and a supreme appreciation of me-time. She likes to take pictures of pretty, sexy, and creepy things. Soft tacos with no lettuce, spooky supernatural anything, playing majors in smite, heavy metal, the Sith Code... Things that start with the letter C. Cats, camera gear, cold weather, cosmetics, clothing, caffeine. But no candids. She doesn't do candids. If you want to find out more about Cassandra, you can follow the links in the show notes. The photo will be up for a good couple of weeks, so get used to that hauntingly beautiful image coming up on your screen. 
Now, please remember, fablers, that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors and the artists. Violators will have their memories consumed. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. Well, I'm off to carpe my DM. I hope, dear fablers, that wherever you are, your day is or was as good as mine will be. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.